Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. China has reset its priorities and 2023 starts with a bang as the country is pulling out all the stops to revive economic growth. Chinese President Xi Jinping made that crystal clear at a tune-setting economic conference last December. How will China go about giving that much-needed boost to its economy? What fiscal policies are in the pipeline? And what could stand in the way and be a potential source of friction, both at home and abroad? Welcome to the special edition of The Point with me, Li Xin, coming to you from Beijing. For the discussion, I was pleased to be joined from Sydney, Australia, by Professor David Goodman, Director of China Studies Centre at the University of Sydney. From Beijing, by Professor Xue Lan, Dean of the Schwarzman College at Tsinghua University. From Washington, D.C., by Surab Gupta, Senior Asia-Pacific International Relations Policy Specialist at the Institute for China. America Studies, and from Portland, Oregon, by Professor Liang Yen, Kramer Chair, Professor of Economics at Williamette University. The warmest welcome to all of you. Professor Gupta, how would you compare the difficulties the world economy is facing at this particular moment with that of 2008? I mean, back then, China was in relatively good shape and uh, China and the United States were able to join hands or uh, China was able, you know, to provide some kind of a relief for the United States and for other countries that were in, in deep trouble. Um, now you, you mentioned the economic, the tech war that the U.S. has launched on China at this particular moment when the world economy is not looking at some good news. How much trouble is there going to be? And does the United States realize that this is probably the not the best moment to launch a tech war on China when the world is very much in need of a collective economic recovery if we're not going to sink together? I think you're absolutely correct on that front. Uh, there have been very drastic and draconian technology embargo and denial measures over the last two years and the, the fruits of that, the bitter fruits of that are going to be felt in the next year or two when there's a downturn in many of those tech sectors. But speaking of the broader global economy, I am not too pessimistic. The advanced economies are looking at some form of recession. It probably not a harsh recession, maybe a softer landing, but they are looking at a downturn in some respects. Emerging markets have held their own fairly well despite the real jacking up of the U.S. interest rates and the pressure that it has placed on their currencies. But they, most of them have coped well. We know there are cases of debt dis distress, but most have coped well. And I am actually fairly optimist, optimistic about the Chinese economy becoming a motor of growth for the global economy, especially during the latter part of 2023. I think uh, where the Chinese government is going, and rightly so, is to recharge the animal instincts of the private sector. That is what will grow the Chinese economy dynamically, and it will help the world economy in tow, even if the advanced economies are not doing that great, given the food, energy, and, and, and other challenges that we're facing. And therefore, I think for the role for the Chinese government primarily is to kind of support economic growth, support the private sector, while not exacerbating the domestic economic imbalances and the risks to financial stability, and to provide support to consumption. 
the Chinese government needs to become a bigger player on the consumption side of the economy too, both short term and of course, as, as Professor Goodman mentioned from a longer term perspective. But I am not a pessimist in terms of of growth, uh, global growth in 2023. What I am though pessimistic about is that advanced economies and emerging economies can sit at the table and really push the multilateral economic agenda forward. I think there's too big of a gap, a differential in that, and there are too many policy differences for that process to really be recharged in 2023, even though the Indonesian G20 chairpersonship did a great job. So, but just talking growth, I'm 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 more optimist than pessimist in 2023 because of China and because of emerging markets. Well, according to a report released by the National Bureau of Statistics in November, China contributed up to 38.6% of world economic growth from 2013 to 2021. Now, with China's role as an economic engine being a little bit uncertain, at least at this particular point, are you still so optimistic, Professor Gupta, that the world economic uh, performance will be um, rather rosy? I would say the first six months of 2023 will be difficult because China itself is facing going to be facing difficulty and the advanced economies are staring more at a downturn than, than an upturn. And therefore, we don't have real, real strong growth motors. But I am optimistic that come the first, the second half of the year, at least at the Chinese end and at the emerging market end, they will be able to uphold global growth and stimulate it. You know, the fact of the matter is in the first two decades of the 20 of the of the century, 21st century, it has been the non-Western countries which have been major stimulants of growth. And 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 I don't and I see that that dynamic continuing. And of course, it would be great to have growth also in the Eurozone and in the US economy. Uh, for them, it's more of a kind of a temporary or a, or, or a transient downturn, one might say. But really, I think media onwards, we, we, we can expect something good, not necessarily rosy, but but the, the, the global economy finding its bearings once again and creating an opportunity for prosperity going forward in 2024 and thereafter. Yeah, Professor Liang, on January the 8th, China has announced that uh, it will lift uh, inbound travel quarantine requirements. Uh, how much of a factor is that going to play on the, the domestic economy, on international communication, people-to-people -people exchange for sure? But how significant do you see that move? Right. So I think this is going to be a probably uh, gradual process where um, foreign investors and foreign uh, tourists will start coming back to China and also expats are coming back to China with this COVID uh, restriction being you know, erased or uh, being significantly uh, watered down. So I think that would definitely be helpful um, for these kind of economic exchanges um, for also people to people exchanges. And I think also more and more Chinese people would probably also um, going out uh, talking about, you know, consumption demand or boosting consumer uh, confidence. Um, I think many tourism uh, industry is going to see um, a, a revival um, of their um, businesses. 
And I also want to comment on uh, some of the questions that I think are very interesting that you raised earlier. One has to do with the common prosperity. I think when it when it comes to you know providing more and wider and equal access to public services, I think that's definitely an emphasis of the government uh, in the coming years. Um, that is part of the common prosperity. On the other hand, I think income redistribution policy is probably going to be um, at the back burner. Um, just because I think economic security and growth are probably going to be the priorities um, for uh, next year. Um, and talking about global economy, I agree that I think by most of the um, forecasts, China is going to be uh, part of the local motives, along with emerging Asia like Malaysia, Indonesia, Vietnam, uh, India. Um, but I think it's very difficult to tell are we going to have a rosier year in 2023? And I think it really depends on two major factors. One is how the war uh, between Russia and Ukraine are going to pan out um, and unfold. And for two, I think it also has really to do with um, how advanced countries, uh, you know, central banks are going to uh, implement policies. Um, if, you know, the United States is going to have the last rate hike in January and then stay put, that's probably going to be helpful um, to engineer soft lending. Um, so do you know ECB, but that is a big unknown. Um, so I think there's still a lot of uncertainties. And again, if you look at the IMF's forecast, um, they forecasted a lower growth rate for the global economy in 2023 um, at 2.7%. Um, so I think there's still quite a lot of uncertainties, but I think what the Chinese government can do, I agree with uh, Professor Gupta and the other speakers, is that, you know, um, we can remain vigilant and implement prudent monetary policy and proactive fiscal policy. And I would really strongly advocate for, you know, of course, uh, support for the consumers, even though I think most of the signs now point out um, I think the central government is still going to show up and support businesses by way of, you know, supporting the consumers rather than, you know, directly giving um, cash handouts. But I think if the central government can, um, you know, increase their fiscal transfer to the local governments and allow the local governments to um, help their businesses and consumers, um, I think that would be great. Professor Shui, let me go straight to you on this. Um, what is the consideration when China makes its uh, policies in terms of uh, uh, fiscal distribution or the, the gap, the allocation of resources between the national level government and the local, the provincial level government? What is the complexity of trying to revive an economy the size of China with 1.4 billion people, 17 trillion US dollars in size? Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a huge, uh, a hugely complicated issue. But, but I think certainly the central allocation to local government usually comes in in in, in different formats. I, I think one often is coming, you know, from sort of major, uh, you know, infrastructure projects and 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 so on, and that supports the local development. And often that really comes with a string attached that you need to have a match up from the local government. And, and so that's sort of the, 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 you know, one part. The other mm -hmm. part is also to provide some basic uh, public service such, such as education. In many provinces, they are not able to, uh, you know, to provide, you know, uh, to have enough fund to, to fund their local education. So the central government would also uh, allocate. So I, I think that, um, um, you know, at the moment, I think that um, uh, many local governments are really sort of, uh, are, are are quite uh, you know uh, 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 tightly. I mean, over, over the last three years, they've already spent a lot of the you know their their, their you know uh, uh, local 
of finance and so they really need the kind of central support to be able to provide sort of basic service. So I think that kind of support will be very much needed. And I think this, this, the, the other part of the central government support is to support local sort of innovation and local industrial development. And there, I think that in, in many cases, the best way is to give some more, more specific policies. And so I think China has various kind of policies, experiment, so experimental zones, and as we know that the free uh, trade zones and those kind of policy um, uh, support from the central government, uh, I think also can play a big role. All right. Well, let, let's let's move on to to one um, bigger aspect where we have not yet elaborated on, which is the geopolitical situation. And Professor Goodman, let me get your view: the war in Ukraine and also the rivalry between the United States and China. How much pressure is that going to be on the Chinese economy looking ahead for 2023, especially for the first half? Well, I think uh, Professor Gupta really dealt with a large part of that in his earlier comments. The, the pressures on China from conflict, economic conflict in particular, but conflict of that kind with the USA is quite severe. The US government, the current US government, as well as the previous US government, seem uh, determined to bang the drum of competition uh, moving towards conflict with, uh, with China. Uh, that's not clearly something that's in the world's interests. Um, it, um, Xi Jinping in, in New Year, once again, as at the Party Congress, talked about the importance of not just globalization for peace and stability, but also economic globalization. And, and that clearly is the case. Um, a lot of, I, I live in Australia, a lot of fuss here is made over um, what is seen as an inevitable conflict between Taiwan and the mainland. Uh, but that's missing the point about the considerable amount of economic codependency that exists between the two entities. It's it's just not common sense, but it is something that the USA government has been pursuing. The question of Ukraine, of course, is somewhat different um, because um, it, it's a major, a major problem in Europe with the USA supporting uh, the Ukrainian government, but not to the extent of uh, being prepared uh, to go to war to them. Well, the reason, I suppose, is because Russia is a, a nuclear force. But the problem is the reason um, um, the Ukraine war has got bogged down, I think, is twofold. One is that in the first place, uh, the um, United States government was not listening to the concerns that Putin had um, about what was happening in Ukraine, whether they're justified or not. They weren't listening. And the, the other thing is that they're, they're not going to go to war because of nuclear weapons. In terms of uh, the kind of uh, pressure on the Chinese economy or on the security of the Chinese economy, uh, mm. Mr. Gupta, let me, let, let me go to you there. Uh, in what specific um, terms will this geopolitical pressure um, demonstrate itself, manifest you know, in terms of a specific pressure on the Chinese economy, you talk about the tech war between the two countries. Uh, in specific terms, how much pressure specifically is that going to have on the Chinese economy? I would actually, I'll be a little contrarian here and say, at least in the short term, not too much. Mm -hmm. 
it is going to have an impact on on, on China's economy. Uh, but you know, China is a seventeen trillion dollar economy. It's not just technology that is across the board on which China de de depends. We are looking at these fourth industrial revolution technologies from a 10, 25 year time frame. And so it's not very useful to telescope it as to whether that will really have an impact in, in the very short term. Let me also frame this a little differently. I, I, I'm not trying to diminish the importance of the fourth industrial revolution and, and its value, but let me say this, China today is just a, a getting to the cusp of being an advanced economy. It's a $12,500 per capita economy. Now think of South Korea. China's trajectory, economic trajectory, has been very similar to South Korea's. Now think of South Korea today. South Korea is a $35,000 economy, roughly, per capita. And yes, it has a few core technologies, but it doesn't have too many core technologies. It has a few, but it's a $35,000 economy. If China were to become a $35,000 economy per capita, it would be double the size of the United States. And so once we can get a little distracted by the fact that it's all about core technologies, but if China can just grow by itself with through more balanced consumption-led growth and, have, and, 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 and enhance its technology level, China will be an economy without peer. And so we shouldn't be too over fixated on the technology element as being the determinant of how fast or how far China will go, at least in the short term. And if China can just do the things that it needs to do, it needs to stimulate the property sector, it needs to the strain on local government, it needs to become a more consumption oriented society, more balanced. The very things President Xi has talked about in terms of dual circulation, right. common prosperity, I think China is fairly well set, but these are not the easy transitions to make that transition from being a high growth economy to a high high quality development economy. That's a process which will play out and core okay. technologies is yeah. just part of that element to which of, of getting China to that to that level, I would say. Yeah. Well, I would agree that, you know, the uh, tech supremacy is a much longer uh, term goal uh, trajectory, let's say, a competition, and uh, to show up the consumption would be a priority for the next months to come. Um, Professor Liang, finally, let me go to you as um, Professor Goodman stressed in the very beginning, um, President Xi emphasized the need for unity. Um, it's not very common for um, President Xi, in this short form of an address, to emphasize that ours is a big country, it is only natural for different people to have different concerns or hold different views on the same issue. What matters, and I'm quoting him uh, directly here, what matters is that we build consensus through communication and consultation. When the 1.4 billion Chinese work with one heart and one mind and standing unity with a strong will, no task will be impossible and no difficulty insurmountable. Um, why do you think he's stressing that particular point? How much is unity a, a determining factor here? And how difficult is it in today's China to achieve that? Because everybody has, you know, their, their social media, their mobile internet, and they can, you know, say or post things instantly. 
Right. So I think uh, one thing to bear in mind, I agree with Professor uh, Gupta, that a lot of these challenges are mostly internal. There are external challenges, but they are mostly secondary because, you know, um, China does not like other countries that are facing secu uh, severe, you know, energy and fluid crises. Um, and I also agree that China could um, have this sort of uh, internal indigenous innovations um, that could help China to achieve its long term uh, efficiency goals, which I think are very important um, because you can't have an continue extensive growth. Uh, you have to increase efficiency and productivity. Um, but mostly, I think what is important is to boost domestic, um, the, you know, as we all know, the three pillars in demand, there is a consumption demand that we need to improve. Um, then we have the investment uh, with the real estate sector being in slum that um, has slowed down and exports. And I think as we all um, understand, you know, next year, uh, the global demand uh, may be dampened because of interest rate hikes and also other countries, um, you know, take Germany as example. This year, they still have some storage of gas. But next year, um, you know, the energy crisis is not going to go away. You're 2023. Yeah. That's correct, 2023. So I think there are still a lot of issues um, with the war. Um, it's not just the energy, but also, you know, the two warring countries account for 12% of the global calorie trade. So I think there's a lot, lot of aftermath that all the countries in the world are going to face with. But for China, I agree. Uh, the pivot is supposed to be um, towards domestic, right? We need to have the domestic market, domestic demand. And so I think it's time um, that all these grounds have been built, um, that we need to come up with, you know, uh, common goals and common uh, sort of uh, policies um, that would help to create this kind of buy-in, would create this kind of unity um, to push the countries forward. But I think uh, what President Xi is emphasizing here is, yes, you know, with communication, with greater unity, with these common goals, we're able to overcome all these external pressures and challenges um, in order to, you know, um, increase our demand, domestic demand, build the domestic unified markets, mm -hmm. um, and to promote indigenous innovations. Mm -hmm. Finally, Professor Xi, you, you deal with uh, uh, young people. I deal is the wrong word, probably. You live with, you, you, you are in the the world of uh, young people, uh, which is another group that President Xi addressed spe specifically. Besides unity, he talked about the important the importance of uh, um, youth and you know their view, their growth, their development. Uh, what specific message is he sending through that? I, I think that message is uh, critically important because I think that. Uh, Part of our, you know, the geopolitical situation we see today is that indeed I think that uh, you know we have not uh, paid enough attention uh, for promoting the you know uh, communication and, uh, and collaboration among different countries over the last you know forty years when when we are developing. And I think now today I think as China is emerging, you know, play a bigger role in, in in the world stage, and there's a tremendous need to promote that understanding and that collaboration and so on. So that's part of the reason why Schwarzman College uh, was started in 2013. And we are trying to, you know, play some role in, in really getting, you know, young people from every part, corner of the world to and to come to Tsinghua and to spend a year and, and working together, sharing their views and, and challenging each other and also trying to find creative solutions for, for the uh, future world. I think that kind of effort is is what's really needed, you know, in in, in, the, in the world. If possible, let me add, if uh, you know, uh, one more point on the 
uh, technology issue. I think I couldn't, yes. I think, agree with uh, Professor Gupta more on that point. I think if, when we talk about technology, I think, of course, the cutting edge technology is important, but also the diffusion of mature technology is also critically important for an economy of, of Chinese size. So I think that that's something that we have we should pay much more attention to. I think that's where I think China will gain hugely in in terms of productivity growth, uh, where I think that's a, a, a critical for economic growth. Having said that, we also shouldn't underestimate the negative impact of the tech war between U.S. and China because the U.S. is not just you know, sort of really sort of sanctioned on particular uh, semiconductor technology. It's really having an impact on the global uh, value chain because of the U.S. In, you know, basically it's any companies that's related to those technologies are no, no longer able to do business with China. And that impact is huge. And so, but I also wanted to say here that that effort is going to hurt not only Chinese economy, but also U.S. economy and the global economy, as we've already seen, the you know global semiconductor industry suffered hugely. Right. China was the largest consumer of the you know global semiconductor industry, you know, before the tech war. And also, I think so that shifting of global value chain uh, will have a negative impact on the global economy. We are talking about the cost might go up, and also that shifting of global value chain may also have climate implications as well, because we are moving production from where I think it's highly efficient and actually over the years have become much cleaner production to where I think that uh, uh, environmental uh, you know, uh, uh, implications are much yeah. greater. But, so I think everybody's losing. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes it takes time for, for matters to um, develop and for people to realize what are the real consequences of certain policies, just as what we see from the result, from the consequences of the trade war, it's probably going to take a little bit of time till things clear up. But uh, um, definitely, as President Xi mentioned, uh, just as polishing makes jade finer, adversity makes one stronger. We do have to work very hard in the year 2023, not just for ourselves, but for everybody's sake. Many thanks to our guests joining us from different parts of the world. Professor David Goodman, Director of China Studies Center at the University of Sydney. Professor Xuelan, Dean of Schwarzman College at Tsinghua University. Surab Gupta, Senior Asia Pacific International Relations Policy Specialist at the Institute for China America Studies and Professor Liang Yang, Kremer Chair, Professor of Economics at William Met University. William Met University. And with that, we come to the end of this special edition of The Point with me, Lu Xin. As always, you can find me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Lu Xin in Beijing. You've got the point. Mm-hmm.